0: This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everybody, it's the Hockey News Podcast here. Well, sort of. It's Matt Larkin. I'm at home because I am snowed in. There's snow everywhere. No one can get to the office. And I do have Ken Campbell on the phone with me. Ryan Kennedy is pretty sick His voice sounds even deeper than normal, so deep that it's not podcast friendly, but I do have Ken here on the phone, on speaker. Hey Kenny boy, how you doing? Yeah, long time listener, first time caller, Uh, glad I was able to get on the phone with you. (laughs) Hey, anytime, anytime, it's my pleasure. We called the army in to help us clear out the snow again, than we
1: did back in 1999.
0: Yeah, that's, that's how Toronto treats snow, like Ken's from Sudbury and I'm from Ottawa, so for us, this is pretty normal, but... For us, this is Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. But people are like... there's a bus stuck in the middle of the road. Like, people just don't know what to do. It's just... It's, it's chaos. But we still wanted to bring you at least a miniature podcast... Because there is plenty to talk about. And first of all, we've got to talk about Jake Muzzin, of course. The Toronto Maple Leafs making the first big move of trade season coming out of the All-Star break. They get Jake Muzzin. They give up two, in my opinion, two of the top six prospects. Defenseman Sean Dersey and left-winger Carl Grundstrom. And also first-rounder in 2019. Uh, and to me, I'm looking at this trade, Kenny, and it just seems to make so much sense. It's just very logical from both sides. I mean, it looks like the Kings... They've actually nicely stocked what's a pretty weak farm system. I like Grundstrom and I like Jersey. And the Leafs, I I get it too, right? They they get an extra year, so it's not really a rental, an extra year of muzzin, and they make right. the blue line stronger. What do you think?
1: Well, yeah, I I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think this is one of those really good trade deadline trades. You know, the seller gets better in the long term and the, and the buyer gets better in the short term. Um, and, you know, like you said, I mean, that... I mean, what I like about it from the league's perspective is they didn't give up anything off the roster uh, to get a guy that, you know, could slide in and be a really good addition for their blue line. Um, you know, I, I mean, Muzzin has played the left side the better part of his career, and the best hockey he played was on the left side with Drew Doughty, obviously. Um, but uh, but he can play the right side and probably will in Toronto, so He'll he'll almost certainly play with, with Morgan Riley, and then that moves to both seven and and, uh, and Hainsey down a bit on the depth chart and maybe gives them a little less responsibility, which is probably a good thing. And the good thing for the Leafs, too, is they've got a guy coming in at $4 million next year. And, uh, you know, Jake Gardner's making four point five. million. Uh, he's not going to be making that next year, whether it's, it's in Toronto or somewhere else. And it almost certainly will be somewhere else. So they've got a bit of, of insurance that way, too. So... Um, you know, a good good move for a cup, uh, for a team that's, that's, you know, trying to put something together for a cup run here. And, you know, from the Kings side of things, Carl Grunstrom Gun- Gun- is probably going to be a really good, serviceable third-line player for a long time. Um, you know, and Jersey and will be a decent defenseman for them. And the first-round pick will be whatever they can get for, you know, I mean, if the Leafs make the final, then it's 30th or 31st pick. If not, it's probably somewhere in the late 20s, so uh, to go along with what they hope, I'm sure, will be the first pick overall in Jack Hughes. So uh, I think it helps both teams in their objectives, you know, that these were trying to get better in the short term and, and shore up their defense, and the Kings were obviously, you know, looking to the future on this one.
0: Exactly. I agree. And what I'm curious about is I agree that it looks like Muzzin or Riley, I think one of the two of them is gonna play the right side, and I do think they're gonna be paired together to form sort of a super pairing. Um, because both guys have played the right side in Spurts before. But what I'm wondering right. now is whether Dubis is done. So he was talking to the media, sort of implying that, okay, we've got our buy, we're gonna give all these all the defensemen time, we're gonna evaluate all of them on the right side and make a decision. That sounds like someone who's done upgrading his blue line, but I, I'm still skeptical about that. I wouldn't be surprised if there's another move up his sleeve um, to get an actual right shot. But well, what I'm also wondering is, so this trade basically put the nail in Jake Gardner's coffin as a leave. I think that's pretty clear because Muzzin now, they have basically a cheaper Gardner for next season. Um, yeah. But what I wonder is, do you explore trading Gardner for something before the deadline, or, or do you treat him like a rental that you need, or do you... Look to see if there's a team that might want him, and you can maybe get a right-shot defenseman coming back your way in a hockey trade. Or is that not realistic? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I mean, but, but I do know that um,
1: you know I think the Leafs value Jake Gardner a lot more than their fan base does. Um, I think they I think Mike Babcock appreciates him a lot more than you know than the Bluebirds do, and and I think I think the, the organization sees a lot more value in him. And a lot of other people, so I, I think they really like him. I think they know that if they if they want to contend for a playoff spot, they've got to be very deep at defense. Um, so I, I'm not sure that you you make a move involving Jake Gardner, but uh, you know, I mean, you know, now do they go out and say go after say, Wayne Simmons or Michael Furman up front to give them a bit of edge in the playoffs, uh, to give them that kind of player that can that can play against uh, you know a, a team like Boston, who they're probably going to face. First round, um, you know. I mean, I, I still think they need a right-shot defense that can that can really stabilize things back there. I still think they have the assets to go out and get a, a big name like an Alex Pietrangelo. You know, I mean, St. Louis is three points out of the playoffs right now. They've got four or five teams between them and the playoffs. There's still four weeks to go to the deadline. There's still lots to be shaken out here. But you know, if St. Louis is out of it at the deadline, then uh, you know, do you take a run at a at a Pietrangelo? I say you do. But but you know the price might be too high. You know you you may not be able to fit them under your cap. Uh, You know a lot of other
0: factors that way too. It's true. I'm I'm still with you. I think that the Leafs have their most flexibility right now to take their shot. Uh, So if I'm mem, I would be still kicking the tires on Dougie Hamilton or Alex Pietrangelo. Uh, and it, it would require a major package, which probably means sacrificing a Casper Kapanen or an Andres Johnson yeah. and or a Timothy Lilligren, But uh, I still think they're in their their best window, especially this year, before they have Marner and Matthews contracts on the books. So I'd be tempted yeah. to do it too. I think it's more realistic to expect maybe pursuing, like you said, that, that banging winger like... Wayne Simmons and maybe I could see a scenario where they make a deal for Wayne Simmons and Radko Gouda something with the Flyers where they get two pieces and maybe it still costs less than what it would acquire to get a big fish like a Pietrangelo so it's going to be interesting to see yeah. Yeah. but I think I, I don't think anyone doubts that they've upgraded and uh, Muzzin's actually having a great year he doesn't play with Drew Doughty really nearly good. as much anymore yeah but he, he, I agree he's, he's been very good so we'll see we'll see how he does under the bright lights but he is a, a Stanley Cup champion
1: yeah, and you know, I mean, we and and you mentioned the bright lights, and I think that that's a that's an interesting uh, an interesting uh, observation because you know he hasn't been under the bright lights. He's played in L.A. It's a big city, a big market, but it's not a big hockey market, and it's not one where you know every move that a player makes is, makes is critiqued and and dissected, and that's going to happen here. And, and some players react well to that. Some players love it. Actually, you know, Gary Roberts used to love it. He hated him it because nobody cared about hockey, He wanted to come back and play in a place where people really, you know, really cared about the game. And, you know, some guys react really well to that. Some guys, it doesn't bother them at all. It doesn't make a difference. And some guys, you know, they they don't react well to it. So it'll be interesting to see how Jake Lebson handles all of that. I mean, it'll be great at the beginning because things will be going great, but...
0: You know, I mean, there's going to be some some rough spots, and we'll see how they all handle that. For sure. And and the other thought I had had was for Muzzin, the the silver lining for him is that he's not going to be expected to be the guy because this team has so many big personalities, big stars, that maybe he can blend in. That's sort of his game. It's to be well-rounded, to be sort of a B-plus in every category and not really stand out. So we'll see. Maybe he'll be a good fit. Uh, So Ken and I just got back from San Jose the all-star weekend, Ken's favorite weekend in hockey. He just he can't get enough of the action when it's out there. Oh, it's it's glorious, really. <laughs> But it was interesting because as you all know, uh the, the women stole the event. Brianna Decker and Kendall Coinscofield And even Ryan and I were were covering uh, the stories on the Night of the Skills competition and we sort of spoke after. We said, we know this is an NHL event, and that's sort of our assignment, but we gotta roll with what's really happening here. So Ryan went and interviewed Kendall. I went and interviewed Brianna because we just thought this is the moment. This is this is the right story to tell. Uh, and I think it's the story a lot of people have been talking about, and we know now that CCM gave 25 grand to Brianna Decker, and the NHL did its own thing with 25 k uh, in each of the women's name uh, to their charity of choice. But what I'm what I want to talk about now with you, Kenny, is uh, what it means going forward for the All-Star Weekend, and, and is it possible now, given I think how how much. Uh, Decker and Schofield, in particular, open people's eyes. People's eyes. Is it possible that we could see them added to, or women in general, added to the All Star Game? Maybe one per division, and allowed to compete in the three on three tournament. Well, I think that would be the natural
1: progression here. Um, you know, obviously it obviously was a huge hit, uh, and you know, I mean, the NHL. I mean, sometimes they just stumble into these things. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, the John Scott thing, and it was. Ask for until it wasn't, and then it was, and it ended up being the great story of the the All Star Game. I think this. Uh, I think they thought it might be a nice little novelty. I don't think anybody expected that. Uh, you know um, that that Kendall Coy- Schofield, was going to, um, you know, be right there with the best players in the NHL in the skating competition. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I mean, this is a game that that's, um, that's, that's you know, really not. It's not. It's not doesn't move the needle anyway in any way shape or form so i don't see why not and you know what if i were the nhl i would be like forget about last man and how about last woman in or something you know maybe maybe have that last spot for you know people to nominate women hockey players that uh, that can play
0: in this thing yeah, I agree all the way, especially when you look. If anyone tries to claim, oh, that would be a novelty, it's like, uh, yeah, that's the whole point of the weekend. This is the same event yeah. in which someone picked up Johnny Gaudreau and used him as a child. Brent Burns wore a Chewbacca mask. Brent Burns used his own son. Uh, Patrick Kane wore a Superman cape. A can use two sticks. Oh, no, 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 we're not going to let women play in this tournament. That would be too weird. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like, yeah, come on. I think it would be a great idea. And if John Scott can get in, Kendall Coin can skate circles around John Scott. And if John Scott can, can hang with <laughs> yeah. those players in a tournament where no one's playing their most physical game, I think absolutely a Kendall Coin or whoever whoever the qualified player is next year uh, deserves yeah. a chance. And I think it would be a lot of fun, and it would generate a lot of interest. I bet you there would be higher ratings. As I said on Twitter this week, our, our most read stories, our most popular stories of the entire week were the stories on Coin and Decker, so there would be an audience for this. I think people would tune in, and it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think I think I think I think you're right. I mean, you'd, you'd be opening it up to a, an entirely you know different, probably different uh, demographic
1: if you if you know if you had more women involved in it. Um, you know, they're obviously you know in a in a, in a situation like this they can play. I mean, they could you know in a game where you know it's not a physical game where it's more based on skill and speed and you know I, I can see Kendall Kendall Coin being able to hang with. Uh, you know those guys in in a game like that. Um, you know, she'd probably provide a lot of uh, a lot of exposure for the women's game and, and a lot of exposure for the NHL. And you know, I mean, there's obviously you know, and obviously people, you yeah. know, like like some of the sponsors in that are are seeing this because you know Kendall Coyne and, and Renata Fast and Rebecca Johnson and um, and um, and Brianna Decker were all signed by Adidas recently. Uh, you know, Kendall Coyne it was just. It was just um, announced today that Kendall Coyne is going to be a um, a uh, an analyst for an MSNB, MSNBC or for sorry NBC Sports coverage of the NHL. So, awesome. You know, I mean, obviously there's people that know that there's there's something good to be gleaned from all of this, and uh, you know, it grows the game for the women, and I think it, it opens it up for for the NHL to uh, you know to find some
0: some uh, some some new audiences. So, you know, I think it's all good. For sure. And I think what was really eye-opening, um, I, I mean, those of us who work in the industry, we, it's not like we didn't know who Kendall Coyne was and we knew she was extremely fast. We noticed her especially at the Olympics last year. So it wasn't, I wasn't blown away by her being fast. But uh, admittedly, I, I thought that her fast was going to be like 15 seconds. I didn't think she was yeah. going to be that fast. So it was still eye-opening yeah. for me as well. So what I'm wondering now is, especially with the way the men's game is trending because it's becoming less physical uh, year after year, are we getting closer to a universe in which we could see female players at higher levels and, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, are, are we 10, 20 years away from the AHL and are we 20, 30 years away from a legitimate competitive, competitive NHL? I don't know. I think it's all, it's all in the realm of possibility now. Yeah, I don't,
1: I don't think it's going to be that long, Matt. I don't think it's, we're looking at 20 or 30 years. I think we're looking Single digits here. Um, you know, I I, I was talking actually talking to Jennifer Bauderel about this last night because I thought that she'd be a, a good person to talk to because she's played the game at a high level in the women's in the women's uh, on the women's side, and she's an analyst for the New York Islanders, so she she knows what the men's side looks like as well. And uh, you know, she she thinks it's close, not not close, but she thinks it's you know it could be on it. And you know, I look at someone like. Hayley Wickenheiser, when she was at her when she was playing the best hockey of her career, I, I'm not sure she would not have been able to maybe compete for a spot and play in, in in a higher league like the Coast League or the the American Hockey League. Now or maybe even the NHL. Like she's she's a lot bigger than a lot of these small guys that are, are you know skating around now. She's certainly bigger than a guy like Johnny DeGro or whatever. And uh, you know when she played there was a lot more emphasis on the physical and the size, and now there's less. And I'm not, I'm not sure that when she was at her best that she wouldn't have been able to, you know, to hang with NHL guys. Um, so I, I think it's coming. Um, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I think you know, one of the things is shooting. I think one of the is, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, women, the women can shoot accurately, but I, I'm not sure that they can shoot hard enough to compete at the NHL level um but i I think it's i think it's gonna happen and and i i don't think it's gonna be you know 10 or 20 years i think you know we're looking at maybe five six seven years there might be someone that comes up um you know because the same way the men are getting better like we see kids coming into the league now that can do things that 18 year old kids shouldn't be able to do um you know i think the same way these kids are coming in and taking over the nhl i mean you know, girls, young girls and, and women are being trained by these same, you know, skills people, and, and they're, they're getting just as good as well. So uh, I would say they're going to
0: probably lessen that gap a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with uh, Craig Button of TSN a few months ago, and we were talking about... Uh, in this case, we were talking about sort of the death of the traditional power forward, and, and what Button was saying was, you know, you're looking at generations of kids now that are coming into the NHL that when the new NHL arrived post-lockout 05-06, right. these kids were only, you know, four or five years old. their formative years, so they were born into a less physical and more high-skill era. And then you get guys in the NHL like Austin Matthews, who's a big guy, but he's very, uh, not hesitant, but it's almost like his brain isn't even wired to look for contact. He just doesn't think right. that way. He uses a stick. And I think we're seeing a generation of players that are going to keep coming into the league uh, that sort of approach the game in a less physical way. So just by default, it's going to push a lot of the physicality out of the game. And I think that's going to open up and make the playing field more level for men and women to play on the same ice. So I'm with you. I think we're going to see it someday. Uh, it's tough to say what what constitutes soon, but I, I think we're going to see yeah. it soon. I think, that, I, think, I think within the next
1: decade, Probably is probably a good projection here, and as far as I'm concerned, I think within the next decade we will see a woman who, you know, maybe can't play in the NHL but might be able to, you know,
0: compete for a spot. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. As a non-goal, as a non-goal, and I'm saying i position
1: player. Like yeah, yeah. So I, I think as a position player, you know, within the next day,
0: decade there will be someone that knocks on that door. All right, good. Uh, I'm gonna hit you guys with some. Fantasy insider pickups, a few quick ones. Uh, I'm sure you've been paying attention to Nino Niederreiter in Carolina, getting a shot on that first line. He's already got two two-goal games. It's sort of a no-brainer pickup. It's someone that we know has always had talent, but he's been struggling to escape that sort of middle six role in Minnesota. But we knew the ability was there, and he was a classic case of someone who needed a change of scenery, and he's immediately been given an opportunity. Uh, and he's That's the kind of pickup. When someone that you know has talent suddenly as a result of a trade finds himself in a favorable situation he can be what that's what i call a league winner someone that you you pick up off the wire late in your season that suddenly produces like a first line player uh, so he's a priority pickup absolutely if you're in your playoff stretch run a couple other guys to watch for frankie vetrano in florida he's being really hot it seems like he's scoring every night and he's playing on that first line right now with alexander barkov and Evgeny jenny um and again Petrano is a little different from Niederreiter because Niederreiter is someone that always had the pedigree. Petrano is a guy that sort of seems to be more of an overachiever, but he's getting an opportunity. He shoots the puck a lot, so if you're in a league that counts shots, he's a great pickup. He's someone that I would give a little bit less leash than I would give to Niederreiter, but he's definitely a guy you want to grab if he's available. And the last one, I'm going to break my rule. Normally, I say I'm only going to recommend guys who are available in at least 50% of leagues, but... Uh, I, I would keep a close eye on Yaroslav Halak in Boston, even though he's owned in 66% of leagues, because Tukarask, they're saying it's not long-term, but it's a concussion. You never know what a timeline's going to be with a concussion. And we saw earlier in the year, Yaroslav Halak was for a while playing as well as any goalie in the league um, when he was spelling took a Rask when Rask took that leave from the team and was off to a slow start. So we know that Halak is capable on this team with this defense in front of him in Boston. He can be a top-flight fantasy goaltender. So if the Rask owner in your league is a little bit slow and lazy and didn't replace Rask, that's someone you could swoop in and snag and could be a big difference maker. Maybe Rask is back next week and it's no big deal, but it's still worth stashing Halak to find out if you have the room on your bench. Uh, Kenny, we're going to close off this mini-podcast with a hot take from you, so what do you have?
1: Well, you know, Matt, uh, you were you were in San Jose this weekend. I was in San Jose this weekend for the All Star game, and, and uh, there was a, a, a news conference, that sort of Gary Bettman's State of the Union on on, uh, on Friday, and uh, you know there was a lot of kumbaya, a lot of kumbaya between the, uh, the NHL and the NHL Players Association. Uh, there seems to be more optimism than ever that uh, you know a labor disruption can be avoided. Um, and, you know, okay, that's, that's all well and good. They've sat down a couple of times, they've talked. Uh, they haven't really got into the meat of the issue. I think, you know, I think, I think it's one thing to talk about canceling the 2020 World Cup. It's one thing to talk about, uh, you, know, putting, um, you know, putting the technology and the equipment
0: so they can track uh, players and bucks. That's one thing you can, agree, you know, you can
1: come to an agreement on. Uh, you know, I, I want to see where it goes when they start having the uncomfort- uncomfortable conversations about escrow and, and you know, HRR and, and how much, how much uh, each side is going to want. You know, Gary Bettman has come out and said, we're not looking for a fight. And, that, and what that's called for, actually, is, is, is I think he's planting the seed that, you know, if, if something happens this time, it's going to be on the players because they're going to want takebacks. They're going to want they're They're going to be asking for something because in all the CBAs to this point, in, you know, the the owners wanting to change the system. Well, they've gotten all the changes they want. they got 50% uh, revenues. The players were getting 57. they got their salary cap. They've got, you know, term limits to a certain degree. Uh, You know, they've gotten pretty much everything they want. So, you know, the players have had their their lunch money taken a few times and they've been beaten up a few times. And now it looks like they're going to be the ones looking for concessions. And so I'm sure the league's going to paint it. Well, you know, these players are greedy and they're they're going to want take-backs. The, the players are going to be saying, hey, look, you know, we've you know, we've given a lot to this business, and business is moving right now. You know, record revenues, um, you know, record profits, you know, $650 million for an expansion franchise. We want to of that pie now, too. So um, what I'm saying is, you know, I mean, these guys right now are, you know, like I said, it was all kumbaya. So, you know, I, I think people need to hold their feet to the fire. Like okay, get this done. Then, if, if you guys are sitting here talking about how there's no tension in the room and how you know everything, you know, the to have this partnership and there's this renewed sort of sense of optimism, then you've got to follow through with that. And and if we're going to miss a year of hockey or any hockey at all, um, you know, it really looks like it, it, it'll be a situation where it it's not necessary. So get it done. And uh, and you know, don't come back to us, you know, whining about. You can't
0: get a deal done nine months from now or 20 months from now or whatever it is. I think you've nailed it, Ken. Uh, and it really does seem to me like it's um, some PR strategy by the NHL sort of trying to set up the players as the bad guy because they know that on the NHL side, they're not looking for as many things as time. Whereas Don Feer has said it repeatedly on the NHLPA side that they felt they made major concessions last time. And I do think that escrow might be the hill that they're going to want to die on. And of course, the expansion fee not being considered part of the hockey related revenue pie going to the players, things like that. So the players, I think do have some legit gripes, um, but it's pretty clever by the NHL that they're going to set things up so the players, if they have these gripes, are going to look a little bit selfish, whether that's fair or not. I, I don't think it is fair. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's from pick one of the
1: owners' you know, negotiation manual. That's, you know, make the players look like a bunch of greedy guys, right? I mean, you can sit there and go, Conor McDavid makes twelve and a half million billion, you know? A fourth-line scrub makes $650,000. 650, that's, you know, 10 times more than most people make in a year, right? And, and so it's very easy to paint the picture that way. And I'm sure the NHL will go to that low-hanging fruit every single time. But the fact of the matter is is that, you know, the employers have given some major, major concessions over the years. I mean, they, they've they gone from 57 to 50% of revenues. I mean, that's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that the owners have made because of that. And, you know, that's what's driven up franchise values, not necessarily the revenue. The fact that they're getting so much more of the revenues and they're getting all the expansion revenues and you know they're they're able to you know they're able to run their business in a way where they're they're able to make a lot of money if they do it right. So I think the players are gonna come back and say we want some of that and you know the NHL saying we're not looking for a fight and they don't want anything, but let's see what they say when the players say, Well we want to go to the Olympics every year or we want to do something about escrow. You know, then we'll see how then then that's where the rubber hits the road and you
0: wonder how other well that's right. And One thing I've never understood is there's sort of, um, in the court of public opinion, I find a, a blue-collar stance that uh, the players are the greedy ones. and uh, To me, it, it always blows my mind because it's, because it's like, the players are the millionaires. The owners are the billionaires. So people sort of treat the players like they're these greedy fat cats, but I'm like, relative to the owners, the players make no money. So it, it's strange, I always find, that that seems to be often a public perception, at least among a certain group, but... That's just the way it is, and I think the NHL knows Uh, that. Yeah, and I I think people don't realize. I mean, not anybody
1: can a lot less or they would, you know, they do this and that, but, you know, I mean, once you get there and once you're in that environment, you realize you're the best in the world at what you do, and somebody's making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars off
0: of what you're doing, well, then, you know, the rules change a little bit. That's right. I agree all the way. Uh, Well, everybody, that's it for this mini-podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it sounded okay from my little uh, workstation at home. And we'll be back next week, hopefully with some regular sound quality and 100% more Ryan Kennedy.